welcome back to Unwarp Reality. It's been a little while. Uh, so just to remind you, this is a podcast designed to help us see not through, but around the looking glass. Our aim is to help unpack the manipulation and bias prevalent in mainstream media reporting. If you're curious for more background, please listen to episode one, where we discuss in greater detail our motivation and goals for the project. You can find it on our Substack or YouTube channels under Unwarp. That's U-N-W-A-R-P, reality. I'm Liz, a cybersecurity specialist, cultural anthropologist, and world traveler calling in from New York City. Yeah, I think you're more of a domestic traveler lately. We've had to take a little bit of a break because you've been jetting around to some fabulous places for conferences. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been to Denver and Pittsburgh, but I wouldn't really call them fabulous. Uh, uh, but, you know... They were nice. Good break. And uh, hopefully, hopefully I can make it to an international destination again soon. Excellent. Me too. So I'm Becca, psychologist, leadership coach, and social critic coming to you from Chicago. Great to have you back with us. So if you want to know a little bit more about who we are, you can check out the bio page on our Substack. In the last episode, we broke down the biased coverage of the Amy Wax case as presented by Vox. Today, we're going to look at a combination of sources to explore the hyperbole and bizarre presentation of information in some stories about animals. Right. And so we've previously highlighted the role of word choice in manipulating your interpretation of events. So uh, I guess we'll start again by looking at some headlines. So you want to do the honors? Sure. Here's a few. From an old standby of Garbage Reporting the Atlantic, the aftermath of a mass slaughter at the zoo, and a newbie in terms of our critique, the USA Today, America's birds are under siege. (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. They're under siege? So what? We should call Seagal? Oh my gosh. 100%. And also, might I note, a totally underrated action classic. What? What are you talking about? Under siege is definitely not underrated. I think it has like uh, the critical... um, appreciation that it deserves but i guess if the birds are under siege we better we better get seagal on the phone i mean we've got a what a mass slaughter here we've got these birds to worry about so what are we gonna do yeah i mean these headlines are pretty extreme so the words were obviously chosen to attract the attention of the reader and this is classic manipulation by the media which of course is to be expected because Headlines are supposed to grab the reader's attention, but the problem is that such catastrophization works to stir up strong emotional responses to issues that could probably be better processed with a cooler head. And as we've discussed, the hyperbole in the headlines is an additional issue because most people don't actually read into the full article, which may or may not, in the case of some publications lacking journalistic integrity, include a more nuanced representation of the information that is necessary to fully understand the issue. So based on these headlines, one would probably be left with the impression that there's mass extinction taking place with animals in the U.S., yeah, and I mean it's it is some pretty bad stuff, right? Like slaughter. I'm I'm thinking like blood, guts, gore everywhere. Like some kind of slasher flick come to life. And you know, if that's true, I mean <laughs> that could be very devastating and disturbing. Um, and then I don't know, under siege, right? Like I'm thinking trapped, some kind of onslaught, like a deliberate and sustained effort to destroy something, or like 
you know, win against your enemy by holding them captive for long enough until they starve. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like thinking the siege of the Troy, for example. So these terms are designed to evoke a lot of emotion. We think about frenzied violence, suffering, loss, persecution, all bad things that we generally like to avoid. But they imply agency, that there's an intentional actor, a perpetrator, some malevolent individual is doing the slaughtering or doing the besieging. Yeah, right. You got to have a bad actor in this case. So like, who who are the birds under siege from? Let me guess. Is it Ron DeSantis again or some other non-woke ogre? Do they even tell us? <laughs> no, sadly, it is not Ronnie D this time. But oh, of course, there is a Florida connection. Here's okay. what the article tells us. These birds are, quote, imperiled by habitat loss, disease, and other threats. Several incidents this spring illustrate a few of the hazards. In Florida in April, state wildlife officials charged two men with shooting and killing colorful migratory cedar waxwings, including a blueberry farmer who was trying to keep them <laughs> off his bushes. Also in Florida, a man was charged with driving a golf cart into a flock of American black skimmers on the beach, killing five birds. Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. So we got a blueberry farmer trying to keep some birds off the plants from which he makes his livelihood. And then like, what, some other idiot? Like, he what, he drove a golf cart and killed five birds? I mean, was it was it intentional? Or like, was he just being kind of a jackass? I, I don't know. I mean, probably like combination of drunk and golf court and beach. But anyway, they don't really tell us the details about that incident. Neither one of those two things, people killing some wax wings and the sky killing some black skimmers on the beach, provides evidence backing up the claim, though, that birds are under siege. Five dead birds may be undesirable, but it hardly constitutes a siege. And it's also very localized, right? So it's not clear how this relates to a statement in the headline claiming that America's birds are under attack. This magnification borders on delusional. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, so you've got two cases of two people killing a couple of birds. Like, I'm assuming those are isolated incidents for both of them, but Aside from that, the article goes on to tell us that it's hard to quantify, this is a quote, it's hard to quantify which birds are most threatened. And another quote, many birds continue to decline without scientists being able to identify a specific cause, despite decades of research and conservation. So like, we don't even know which birds are most threatened, or what the cause of them being threatened is so i don't know maybe i'm nuts but usually for a siege to be taking place you kind of expect like you know one specific group or area kind of being targeted so like being besieged and then i guess like a specific group or i don't know maybe even an individual it seems impossible but like doing the sieging right like there's got to be a clear pattern of behavior of like one group trapping and causing harm to another. Yeah, there's nothing of the kind is outlined in this article. And this lack of explanatory detail is intentional and necessary, right? Without a real siege taking place, they need to manufacture one from these fragmentary claims. So another thing that the article notes is, quote, birds with very restricted ranges, such as the Kirtland's warbler, are inherently at risk. 
natural disasters and disease outbreaks could take out that population much more easily than a species that is more widely distributed, end quote. So here causes like natural disasters and diseases, which are not planned, not intentionally designed to target a specific population are being given as potential reasons for a siege taking place to target these potentially more vulnerable bird populations. Wait, okay, so, okay, what, so, uh, okay, sorry, this one just, so it's, it's interesting or useful potentially, right, like, especially if you're a fanatic with, like, a vested interest in the survival outcomes of the Cartland Warbler, um, but is the issue more that that bird has some restrictions on where it can live and, and how it survives rather than the fact that it's being targeted by someone. I'm, there's no, there's no concrete evidence here. There's just general processes being cited to support this inference that the birds are the target of some kind of confluence of sinister forces. Like I, I, I from what I've seen, I, there's nothing in the article that backs up the headline at all. No, absolutely not. Right. What we have learned is that there are many potential variables at play, some of which are not fully understood and many of which are facts of nature. Natural selection and the outcome of evolution sometimes result in certain species suffering from increased vulnerability to certain environmental conditions. This, again, is an idea that might be of interest, but it should not be connected with a sense that there's a malevolent agent at work undermining bird safety and security. So in the article, we're not provided with clear evidence of a siege or even a clear understanding of why some species are declining, with the exception of a couple of guys, you know, who are targeting birds in Florida. Okay, well, I I, I guess we're going to have to not call Steven Seagal for this one. Um kind of sad because I was looking forward to meeting him but he's probably available too well you know what we'll save it for next time um so I guess let's move on to that other insane headline that you uh mentioned earlier oh okay yeah so for a refresher should we read it again yeah definitely the aftermath of a mass slaughter at the zoo I mean like okay sorry I like I I just find this one so laughable um not least because I'm just I'm sitting there imagining the author when they were typing this up and like it like just feeling how how dramatic they wanted to make it I like I don't know I can only imagine what nonsense is going to be in the article after after such a start like that but all right let's get into some details yeah it's definitely a good one but first of all the slaughterer is I mean I'm a deranged Floridian no it is a fox Yes, an animal. Oh, Oh, okay. And as the article notes, the fox was likely the father of some newborn kits who was looking for food for his offspring. Okay, wait. So like a completely normal part of nature. And actually, I mean, to be fair, if the fox father wasn't out hunting for food for his kits, they'd probably be calling to send him to jail for child support or something, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And how very woke of you, right? You Clearly, you're recognizing that there's no way that the fox can win in this situation. But more importantly, you're pointing out a huge problem with this article, which is the rampant anthropomorphization designed to evoke more emotion and outrage in the reader. Right. And that is present from that very invocation of the term slaughter. So, all right, let's get into some more details about how the slaughter takes place. 
Okay, before we can get to the main event, though, let's just take a quick step out and think a little bit about the setting and some of the language used to frame the story. So the author at the beginning discusses the, how the zoo. Okay, uh, Smithsonian Zoo, right? Yeah, so in Washington, D.C., and the zoo is situated within a larger park. So in order not to, in the author's words, quote, interrupt the wildlife corridors, unquote, the zoo's exterior edges are porous. Okay, so essentially the wildlife in the area can roam more or less freely into or through the zoo itself. And I'm guessing that there's some kind of regulation and in, in enclosure so that the the wild animals can't actually get into the spaces with the, the zoo animals. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it, with I, within the article, the author presents this very oddly inconsistent viewpoint on both supporting animals to act as they naturally would, but constraining animal behavior. And we'll get to some of this as we move forward. Um, there's a lot of pejorative descriptions related to keeping animals in the zoo. But if we kind of focus on the fox, um, here's where we get some really interested, interesting choices for the language that being is being used. So I'm just going to read this full sentence, and then we can respond and unpack. If, for instance, a fox indulges his darker vulpine impulses and hunts the zoo's animals. He will swiftly be brought to justice. <laughs> okay, what? Like what? All right, I'm sorry. What? What? Darker vulpine impulses? Like what? What does that even mean? Uh, and how? Are, what? He's going to be brought to justice? Like what are they talking about? If a fox acts like a fox, doing totally normal fox things then wait, who who i mean who is even going to bring him to justice I, I just don't i don't even understand what this means and like indulges his darker impulses i mean is he indulging anything like i thought he was just trying to find some food for his kits like does this author think that the fox has the ability to control the impulse to find food i, I mean just like wow right again all of those verb choices and descriptors are absurd anthropomorphization, but like we haven't even gotten to the slaughter yet, right? So the author goes on to tell us about the flamingos, which are gonna be the target of the slaughter, in the zoo have had their flight feathers removed. So they're now incapable of flying away from a predator, um, obviously, so they don't escape from the zoo. So of course, there's a discussion of how immoral this is because it quote, shrinks a bird's world. Okay, so like we're not going to get into a moral discussion of zoos here uh, on this episode, but it sounds like from the author's point of view, so the zoo animals are in some sense being denied their true way of existing, but then at the same time, it, the the fox should deny himself that I, I i don't know i'm confused well it has a very dark vulpine nature <laughs> right right yes of course but again right you're, so you're pointing out this huge inconsistency so here's another one of my favorite lines right and there's tons of gems of absurdity in this one but the author tells us quote grounded birds are more vulnerable to mass slaughter <laughs> what? like no they're not okay sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry for these birds um, that they're easy prey but the, the way that's written is just so laughable if a bird that usually flies can't I definitely agree that it's probably more vulnerable as prey but the leap from 
that to then a group of them being vulnerable to mass slaughter is just totally hyperbolic. Like as though that's a real situation where like loads of birds uh, are, are rendered flightless and then what they're the slaughterers are like roaming around trying to to search them out i, I don't know i'm <laughs> i don't yeah, even it's, understand it's very bizarre because like you're saying it presumes that somehow there are animals that are cognizant of the fact that these birds have have had their flight feathers removed and they're just like waiting for the opportunity to pounce and kill kill them all it's insane Right. So then the author goes on to describe in detail their perception. And by that, I mean wild imagination about how the fox interrogated the defenses of the enclosure housing these flamingos and tested its theories of vulnerability as it broached the enclosure. (laughs) Okay. This reminds me of those assignments from like middle school. Remember that? Like you read Call of the Wild or Old Yeller or something, and they're like, write a paragraph from the perspective of the dog so in this case (laughs) write a paragraph from the perspective of a fox it's just like it's so so sad that is legit what this is and i mean the level of cognitive complexity is that of a child so it might be somebody's junior high assignment for example the author speculates that the fox was quote feeling playful like a kid romping around on the den again before pouncing on its prey. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> wait, hold on. So first of all, he knows how the fox was feeling. And then second of all, like the fox is capable of nostalgia. Is that even possible? He's like remembering the days of yore when he was just a young kit romping around in the dead. I mean, what is this guy talking about? Yeah, he, it's incredible. I mean, the fox is probably mourning its favorite toy that it lost on a camping trip or something while that's happening too. <laughs> that's sad. But, Again, like, so what is even more incredible and problematic from the perspective of what we focus on on this podcast is that this article is labeled as science by The Atlantic. Science? This is not science. It's literary fiction. I mean, it's not even good fiction. So it's like they're taking objective events and then they're putting like moral interpretation on top of it and then pretending like animals have human cognition. None of that is science. I, I, as a staunch believer in the scientific process, it's a, it's quite disturbing what the media has done recently to try to damage the public understanding and, and trust in that process. So I don't know, this misrepresentation of, of science is, it's very, very damaging. And here we have just a, one more example of how they're undermining and, and undermining and sort of like muddling the true understanding of what science actually is. Totally. Right. Okay. So, all right. So where are we in the story? Okay. So Fox interrogates the enclosure, goes in and slaughters a bunch of these birds. And then it's just, you know, like chilling, probably like enjoying the fruits of its labor. So the next morning, the zookeeper shows up. Right. Exactly. blood. Blood and feathers. And so the fox is still there when the zookeeper shows up. And then the author claims that the fox ran away, quote, because it seemed to have consciousness of guilt. (laughs) <laughs> as if a wild animal has a what? sense of human guilt or it would feel that way what? after having secured a meal or done its, its, its fox thing <laughs> i can't even i just i can't even understand that i know it's okay, insane what? it's like, like it ran away not because it was guilty but because of a self-protection preservation instinct and didn't want to become prey to a larger animal which is a human 
And again, oh, we're at this point God. of like mixed support for like the animals to be free to act according to their animal nature, which they, they want the flamingos to do. But then the fox acting on its fox nature somehow needs to be punished. It's totally incoherent. Well, he's a he's a baddie. So remember how it is like the, the vulnerable ones should be like, like free to do what they want. And the and the baddies should be punished and changed. I think I think it's fitting with the, the general theme. But all right. True. So anyway aside from these uh like whatever (laughs) the absurdity that we've just gone through let's just cycle back to the initial point which is the discussion about the use i guess overuse right of strong language that is just completely not appropriate to describe these events yeah so slaughter siege right so we discussed that these words imply the presence of an active agent and that appears to be the case in neither natural disasters don't operate with intention and of course while animal actions are purposeful imputing them with human morality and intentionality is not only scientifically inaccurate it's just absurd right so it is of course necessary for the media to create emotion much as much emotional outrage as possible by doing these things by making these particular word choices right so the the motivation is that you know they're going to generate these strong reactions in us without any sort of contemplation of the short or long-term consequences of of trying to do that trying to manipulate us in that way yeah 100% correct and then there's also a larger problem that stems from this, using this type of strong language to describe events to which they are not suited leads to and supports concept creep. When we actually have slaughters and sieges, which thankfully are few and far between, they then have to be described with terms evoking greater and greater levels of harm and catastrophe. So many people, including myself, have written about the tendencies of the media to exacerbate people's sense of pessimism about the world, in part because they consistently report more negative events and with more hyperbolic interpretations. Yeah, it's like you feel as bad as possible because everything is so horrible and it's never going to get better. And I mean, not only is using those terms like, putting subjectivity into what should reasonably expected to be objective reporting. So we could have a scientific description of a fox finding passively held animals um, and then uh, attacking, right? We could have some sort of discussion of how to better have the zoo integrated with the surrounding environment, you know, some kind of lessons learned, something factual and, and productive, but instead they want to create this sense of doom and gloom but it's not even accurately uh portraying the world that we live in so uh, you know reporting on animals and nature we should keep in mind that there is there are aspects of that behavior that can and cannot be controlled right animals will behave in a certain way based on their nature their characteristics the 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 processes of nature that operate completely outside of these concepts of human agency and cognition. So cultivating these narratives that cause us to feel upset and guilty over such situations, it's it's maximally unhelpful to our emotional well-being. And it's just not a useful way to understand the human position within the world or even the world itself. Yeah, 100% correct. And so this is just one of the many reasons why actually avoiding the media can be incredibly beneficial to one's well-being. 
But people have a desire to be informed. And of course, the media is one source of information. But if we choose to engage with it, we have to make sure that we're equipped with the ability to break down the falsity so we can see through the hyperbole and better understand reality. Right. Yeah. And and as we've said before, um, and, and we'll say it again, we can do this for ourselves, but it does take work. So keep putting in the work, everybody. Um, I'm sure you're all doing a great job. And uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So we didn't have a chance to go through both of the articles in full, but they're linked in the episode references. And we encourage you to read them through and see if there's anything else that you might be able to pick out for yourselves. Um, Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again as we continue our journey to unwarp reality. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And if you've got comments, questions, or ideas, different articles that you might want us to break down, send it our way at unwarpreality at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.